Welcome to the Indie Matters Podcast, where we talk about the issues that matter most to Nevada. I'm Joey Lovato, the producer of the Indie Matters Podcast. Each week, we discuss matters of importance that we cover and look ahead to what's coming up. We're a nonprofit news site that can be found at thenevadaindependent.com. Today, I'm joined by Riley Snyder and Michelle Rendells, uh, two of our reporters. Hi, Joey. Hi, Joey. Uh, so this is, uh, this is my first time hosting. Uh, you guys normally don't get to hear me. John and Elizabeth are out this week, so I'm, uh, I'm just taking the reins for today. And uh, you guys are down. Where are you guys right now? We're in Vegas. In undisclosed yeah. location. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so and I'm up here in Reno. Um, and so if you guys hear a little bit of a dis- difference between the uh, the audio quality, that's because we're recording over the phone. So uh, yeah, what did you guys uh, what you guys talk about this week? You guys, uh, Michelle, you went to uh, the Basque Fry with Luz, right? Yeah, I was actually up in your neck of the woods. Uh, went to the Basque Fry. That's Adam Laxalt's annual uh, gathering of kind of conservative political folks. Uh, there was a huge attendance. There was a record 3,000 people that uh, bought tickets to this thing. You know, Mike Pence, vice president, was actually supposed to show up, as, as was Senator Ted Cruz. Unfortunately, um, Hurricane Harvey set in right about that time and both had to cancel. Uh, so the event actually instead featured a few lower profile folks, including House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy, uh, there was New Mexico Governor Susanna Martinez, of course, Laxalt himself, um, Mike Roberson, who's running for lieutenant governor. And this is just, you know, a bunch of speeches out on a ranch. Um, there was traditional Basque food. There was Basque dancing. Uh, yeah, it was a it was hot, but it was a good time out there on the ranch. Did, uh, did you what, what kind of food did you have? Uh, there was chorizo. There was fries. Uh, there was a traditional pecan punch. I did not partake of the lamb fries, which were the uh, the main attraction at the event. What are lamb fries, Michelle? I don't really want to talk about the lamb fries. <laughs> <laughs> because Megan was really eager to talk about the lamb fries last Don't tell us what the lamb fries are. Uh, lamb fries are breaded and fried um, sheep testicles. It's a, a delicacy, and it's kind of um, a big selling point for the Basque fry. They sell little buttons that say, I ate the lamb fries. They had a separate line in the buffet for people who wanted to try them. But unfortunately, despite driving all the way to Gardnerville <laughs> with our colleague Luz, uh, Michelle did not partake. <laughs> and I don't regret it. <laughs> um, was it weird being there? And was there an air of, you know, like them missing Mike Pence and Ted Cruz? Or, or was everyone there fine? You know, I think everyone was really excited about this Bass Fry because of Mike Pence. I, I think everyone was really understanding because, of course, we know that Harvey is horrible and it was you know probably the best reason to to miss that bath fry but of course you know the other thing that people were were listening for was for adam laxalt to announce his bid for governor and it's you know i described in my article the worst kept secret in nevada politics that he's going to jump in uh but he didn't end up doing it at the basque fry you know really didn't talk about it a whole lot but of course all of his fans all of the people that were giving speeches um were were some of them were slipping up and calling him, you know, a governor candidate. Um, but everyone was just kind of, there was the the, uh, the air in the air that he was going to jump in and, and be governor and everyone was talking him up. So, uh, yeah, that was what my article kind of focused on is how um, everyone's just waiting for, for when it's actually going to happen, when he's going to jump into the race. Any idea when that might be or if it ha- if it'll even happen at this point? <laughs> As of as of Basque Fry weekend last Saturday, it was uh, supposed to be in quote coming weeks. So uh, you know, I imagine we'll see it in the month of September. 
but um, we'll just have to see. He's just kind of waiting for the perfect moment, apparently. And there's a uh, another potential governor candidate who may or may not be announcing in the near future. Michelle, what, what's that all about? So state treasurer Dan Schwartz, who's been pretty critical of Adam Laxalt, has what is described as a major announcement on Tuesday at the Republican Men's Club in Vegas. You know, Dan Schwartz has talked about he's very, very serious about running for governor. He just hasn't announced yet. So we're expecting that probably the major announcement uh, will have something to do with his run for governor. All right. Okay, so moving on, we uh, t- this week I attended a, uh, a Republican recap of the legislature in um, at the El Dorado in Reno. You would have gone to that even if we hadn't assigned you to it, right, Joey? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I definitely I definitely would have loved to go and hear about uh, you know, why the kids aren't learning cursive. You know, so yeah, they talked they talked for about yeah, like an hour, hour and a half um on just kind of giving a recap of the legislature. Um they they talked about, you know, what 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 how how it is being the minority uh party and the difficulties difficulties that they uh, encountered while they were uh, you know, all in the assembly. Um, but they did also touch on some positives where they uh, they worked with the uh, the Dems together to like get a few bills passed. But for the most part, it was not uh, it wasn't all uh, sunshine and rainbows when they talked about the Dems. And then at the end, they uh, they had a Q and A uh, section, and uh, it, it was it was good. Uh, you know, it was what you would expect from a citizen Q and A. Like, what kind of questions were asked at this uh, this Q and A? A lot of stuff on education, actually. A lot of people were really concerned about high school proficiency exams. But uh, my favorite question was definitely the, the woman who asked about um, why kids aren't learning cursive anymore. Um, and then she said that, you know, they, they could use cursive as a, a, secret, a secret code that us uh, millennials can't read in the future. So I guess, you know, we should all start learning it so that we can, we can read the old folks' uh, <laughs> secret codes. And that's but, um, been a big issue in the past couple legislative sessions. We got Senator Don Gustafson has introduced bills to mandate cursive teaching in schools, and they've just never really passed, or they've passed without a lot of teeth. Yeah, yeah, they were they were pretty concerned about it, but it was it was a good event overall. Uh, everyone was pretty positive, I would say, and and they seemed very hopeful for the future. So yeah, you know, we'll see what we'll see what comes up with that. Um, and then I also I talked to. Uh, all the assemblymen that were there, there were supposed to be uh, six assemblymen and four of our senators, but only the northern people showed up. So, uh, Riley, why don't you uh, why don't you tell me uh, the email that you got? Who was uh, who was supposed to attend and who actually attended? So, the list of people who were supposed to attend included Paul Anderson. He's the leader of the Assembly Republican Caucus, and a few of his assembly uh, fellow Assembly Republicans, including John Allison, who represents Elko, Al Kramer, who represents uh, the Carson City area. Lisa Krasner and Jill Foles, who represent Reno area districts, and Jim Wheeler. Unfortunately, uh, Assemblyman Anderson did not show up for the event. Um, on the Senate side, Senators Heidi Ganthard and Ben Kikeffer showed up. They both represent Reno areas. Uh, Senator Kikeffer also represents part of Carson City. Uh, two people who were supposed to show up but did not were State Senate Minority Leader Michael Roberson, who's running for Lieutenant Governor, and State Senator Jim Tettlemeyer, who represents an area around Gardnerville, part of rural Nevada. So th- those last two did not uh, attend the event. It's, uh, you know, where in the world is Michael Roberson all over again, right? Yeah. And all of the assemblymen said they were going to be running again in 2018, except for uh, Jill Tolles. She said she would uh, let me know when uh, she announces if she does. Which is interesting just because for for some context, he is sort of being groomed as sort of like a legislative leader. The Assembly Republican Caucus, of course, is only 15 people out of the 42 in the assembly, and they released a 
The fun little promotional video during this section just kind of highlight members and of course Paul Anderson, the leader of the caucus, was highlighted, you know, first and foremost. But the other two they highlighted were uh, Assemblyman Keith Picard in uh, Southern Nevada and Assemblywoman Jill Cole. So she's definitely um, someone they're trying to, to portray as a, a rising star. So I, I think we'd all be a little surprised if she doesn't run again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. They all seemed uh, like they were ready to go for the next session. So moving on, uh, Michelle, you wrote a story on Sisolak uh, hiring some campaign staff. Yeah. So, um, you know, as we all know, Clark County Commissioner Steve Sisolak jumped into the governor's race pretty darn early. It was in the month of June. Uh, really, no other major candidates have jumped in the race just yet. Um, but what his big announcement was really yesterday was that he had hired three senior staffers to kind of guide his campaign. And these guys are all pretty well-known kind of in national political consultant circles. These guys are all people that are veterans of the Obama campaign. One of them is the guy who produced the uh, Democratic National Convention last year. That is uh, Jim Margolis. Uh, there's a guy named John Anzalone who's who's done polling for the Obama and Clinton campaigns. Um, and we've got another guy who's uh, kind of won some statewide races, including um, Montana Senator John Tester. He's a Democrat that won in, in Montana. So anyways, basically the message here is that uh, Steve Sisolak is is not kind of cutting any corners on his his campaign. He's hiring kind of these big names, and uh, you know I think it's a a bit of a show of force that he's serious about the seat. You know, obviously he's he's probably going to go up against Adam Laxalt. One thing that you know we we heard again and again at the Basque Fry how important it is to have that Republican uh, in the governor's seat. Um, you know, it's going to be hard. It's always hard for. Republicans are really win uh, majorities in the uh, the legislature. A little easier for them to win the uh, the governor's seat. It just happens in a year that's kind of favors them more as a midterm, less Democratic turnout. Um, so, anyways, they really need this Republican there to to be a backstop uh, against Democratic legislation that's going to come from what's probably going to be a Democratic controlled assembly and what could very well be a Democrat controlled Senate. So anyways, big high stakes race and Steve Sisolak's showing that he's uh, pretty serious about it. Michelle, why else might Steve Sisolak want to be, you know, making a show of force? And well, I guess it was technically August when he made the announcement of an off year before the election. What else could be on his mind um, that he might want to, you know, indicate that he's the Democratic frontrunner? Well, you know, you've got Christian Kiliani uh, waiting in the wings. She hasn't been... Um, committing yet to running as the governor candidate. She's very serious. She's doing a listening tour. She was out in the rurals. And she's, you know, this candidate that can really excite progressives. She was the one that went against the, the stadium project when Steve Sislak is kind of one of the faces of the, the Raiders stadium project. So she can really excite these progressives, but uh, I guess the concern is in a general, is she too progressive? Is she too far left? And of course, Sisolak's trouble would be more in the primary when people think he's too moderate, he's too business friendly, he's uh, hurt unions in the past, that kind of thing. So we're, we're waiting. We're watching Christian Kiliani not saying anything yet about uh, when she might announce a public decision. But Steve, uh, you know, could very well be to kind of scare out some competition. All right. And then, uh, Riley, what about you? You you talked about uh, energy this week, right? It's your uh, it's your weekly energy recap. Yes, the weekly energy recap. So for I think we need to add a theme song to this. 
two people who said thank you for doing this part on Twitter. Thank you, appreciate you. I keep listening, appreciate it. Let's but, name names. Oh, uh, Adrian um, Underwood from Sunrun, and I think uh, someone else also called me out on Twitter. Who? All right. Yeah, getting getting some shout outs on the podcast. Yeah, some some shout outs, friends of the podcast. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, this week was actually pretty big in terms of net metering. Net metering for people who don't know is this program for people who have rooftop solar systems on top of their house. Essentially, when your rooftop solar system is creating more energy than you're using, it allows you to sell that energy that's created back to the utility, puts it back on the grid, and you get a credit. Previously, it was you know a, a full credit. During the 2017 legislature, they changed it to a system. Not to get into the whole backstory, because I think you know we don't have a, a full 45 minutes to talk about the history of energy policy um, in the last five years. But essentially, it, it was supposed to be tied to the retail rate. It was a percentage basis that would go down over time based on how many people jump in. Everyone was very happy. The governor signed the bill. The legislature passed it with like three people voting no, so it was approved overwhelmingly. The problem came when Envy Energy, the state's main utility, submitted its application on how it would actually implement and create these rates about a month ago. Its plan to do this, um, it said, was to raise the basic service charge that everyone pays, even those without uh, rooftop solar customers, and reduce the volumetric charge, which is kind of dependent on how much electricity you use every single month. And this got a lot of people angry. It kind of concerned um, state consumer protection bureau who said, you know, this is not the proper venue to do this. You're going to raise rates on everyone with like less than a month's notice. And so what happened this week, uh, this is all a wind up to say the, the state's public utility commission, the, the regulatory body that's in charge of figuring this stuff out, issued an order finally approving these rates, which means, you know, it's going to go forward. People who want to get in the new net metering system can do so. Anytime between now and, and December, they'll, they'll implement that. But they also rejected the Energy's plan to um, change the rates and instead they're going to classify people with net metering systems as what's called a regulatory asset. It's like a very technical energy term in terms of it basically means they're allowed to track how much money they might gain or lose and then make adjustments in rates down the road. But the, the big takeaway is that rooftop solar companies are very happy that a lot of them emailed me today and said, you know, this is it's back. Solar's back. Everything's good. We're happy. Envy Energy, which had sort of threatened um, litigation or perhaps suing very subtly um, if regulatory asset sort of budget procedure wasn't approved, said we're going to go ahead and do what the commission did. It wasn't they weren't cheerleading and they weren't exactly angry. So um, at least from this point, this, this Friday was the deadline. We're, we're putting this on a Friday uh, for the PUC to approve that. They got it approved in time and it looks like everything is OK moving forward. I would like to mention that Riley was so committed to this decision. He was there this morning. He missed out on a brunch that we had celebrating our colleague, Luce, who got her citizenship today. So we're very excited about that. It's not, not to mean that energy policy is more important than our friend and colleague, Luce, who's an amazing, who does a great job of this management with site. She'll follow her on Twitter. Shout out, Luce. Yeah, Luz also, Luz also, I also produce uh, Luz's podcast here. Uh, it's called uh, Cafecito con Luz, and you can find that on the Indie uh, website as well. It's, uh, but it's in Spanish, so yeah. <laughs> just uh, yeah, just a plug for the other podcast we do, you know, I guess. This is the plug show. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah, it's the plug episode. Um, and then is, Michelle, did you have one more thing you wanted to talk about this episode before we wrap up? Yeah. So, um, for all of those out there who are following uh, recreational marijuana sales in this ongoing dispute between liquor distributors and marijuana companies. Uh, there was yet another development in this five-month-long saga between those two. The, uh, the dispute 
over who gets to do distribution, which is basically just transportation of the marijuana product from a cultivator manufacturer to a dispensary. There was a five-hour hearing um, on the dispute, and the tax commission, which is a board of mostly uh, people appointed by the governor, they voted to open up basically to um, they voted in favor of the marijuana companies. The marijuana companies want to get in on on marijuana distribution. Um, and right now they're only allowed to let the liquor distributors uh, get involved in this. So, uh, you know, it was yet another step in, in what have been many, many steps, uh, both in court and in the the administrative process. And this one was a victory for the, uh, the marijuana companies over the liquor distributors. Uh, but the saga is not going to end. There's actually going to be a Supreme Court hearing next week in the same dispute. So stay tuned. All right. And then uh, do you guys want to uh, do you guys want to give me a sneak peek on uh, what you're, what's coming up here? Sure. So uh, we're recording this on a Friday. So if you're listening to this on a Saturday, go to the NevadaIndependent.com right now to see a deep dive from my colleague Jackie Valley and me on sort of this ongoing fight over the Clark County School District's budget woes. Um, despite the legislature approving, you know, uh, I think it was an $8.2 billion budget, a uh, two-year budget, during this last week of session, the Clark County School District is facing um, up to an $80 million budget deficit. There's a lot of blame going around. There's a lot of people um, saying the state underfunded CCSD. There's state officials saying CCSD can't properly manage their budget. So a lot of angry people are going to take a, a, a closer look into some of the numbers, how the state funding and local funding actually works. And just a sense of, of what the issues are and who's kind of to blame for, for this budget crunch. And then, Michelle, do you have anything? Yeah, um, I'm working on a story about use of force in Nevada's prisons. And if you remember back in 2014, there was a pretty notorious case of an uh, inmate that was killed in the prison, in High Desert State Prison, when a guard shot a shotgun. Uh, and it was it's kind of out of uh, out of vogue right now for prisons to have guns of any type um, inside the walls of the prison. And and there's more of a move towards using non-lethal methods. So the department has really been trying to change the culture over the past couple of years after this incident. And uh, I'm going to give an update on how they're doing with that. Um, and also some continuing problems they face with a lot of vacancies in the prison and just the strain that that's putting on the corrections officers. All right. Great. Well, uh, that's all the time we have for this edition of the Indie Matters Podcast. We want to know what you think, so if you have any ideas, criticism, or even praise, email us at ideas at thenvindie.com. Uh, and please check out our site, if you haven't already, at thenevadaindependent.com. Also, please rate us on iTunes and subscribe. Uh, we also are found on all of the Android podcast apps. I'm Joey Lovato. Thanks for listening to this episode of Indie Matters, and we'll talk to you next week. No, I'm not implying that. But she does have a landline, so you know. The landline. Just because Michelle is the first millennial in history to purchase a landline does not mean you should uh, judge her or demean her in any way.